You're listening to HR Mavericks, a weekly podcast featuring leading small business HR professionals who share their experiences and insights to help you know how to turn your HR processes and employee experience into a strategic business advantage. Let's get into the show. Welcome to the next episode of HR Mavericks. I'm Garrett Justice, and today I'm joined by Millie Crispin, who's the owner at Marathon Growth Management. Millie, how are you doing today? I am great. Thanks so much for inviting me here today. Well, I'm super excited to have you on the show today. Uh, before we do, like you know, I know you've listened to some episodes we've done in the past. Tell us, tell our listeners a little bit more about your background. I know you have an extensive background in HR, and then you've kind of made the choice to branch out on your own and be the owner of kind of your own business. So tell us a little bit more about that background. Yeah, well, um, I, I can't take credit that it was all uh, planned with infinite wisdom from 25 years ago, but um, I got into human resources after really going through a pretty extensive background in sales and operations, um, fell into human resources, as many of us do, mm-hmm. and then had the privilege of being able to span uh, experiences across a a broad array of industries and companies from startups to Fortune 50 sized companies, and finally was the head of HR in a few different companies, loved it and decided amidst COVID, but not exclusively driven by COVID, but certainly that was a a function of it, to try to step out on my own and and see what I can do um, in in my own realm. Um, And my biggest motivation was really focusing on small to medium players. Along the way in my career, uh, through mergers and acquisitions, I had seen so many small and mid-sized companies, and I'd seen how they've been run and the kind of help that they really needed to have but weren't quite ready for. And I felt there was just a huge niche of opportunity for HR support in those smaller businesses that may not even have an HR department, or if they did, they were a solo person who was there all by themselves with the varying degrees of, of experience. So that's really my, my target now. I love it. So you started your own business to really help and support these small and medium businesses with their HR and people needs. Is that right? That's, that's what I live for. I try to drive their capability around people and process by, by starting with making sure that they have a short up foundation. Are you doing the basics right? Then from there, let's figure out how you can use your people to maximize productivity, maximize profits. And finally, how can we develop some internal capability so that eventually you don't need me and you've got some real capability um, within your own ranks, whether that's a, a solo practitioner that you have internally, or maybe a combination of two people anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I think that makes total sense. So I want to go back a little bit because I know you said you started your career in sales and operations, and then you kind of fell into HR. So tell, tell us a little bit more about why did you choose to pursue that career in HR and why have you stayed for the rest of your career? So so far in HR as well? Um, I chose to go into HR. Well, (laughs) the real reason (laughs) is it looked like a lot of fun and I was getting really tired (laughs) from the travel and uh, sales and and running operations. And I thought, oh, that looks like so much fun. How hard can it be? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, be careful what you wish for, because the (laughs) matter is I didn't know what I was talking about and I didn't really understand HR 
I understood the, the cursory, hey, you go to HR when there's a problem. I didn't understand the other 99.9% of the discipline. Mm-hmm. But when I got there, uh, I, I sure, I sure uh, had a learning, let me, let me tell you. And um, I'm really happy that I did because in going into human resources, I really felt like it rounded out my general management capability. And I do regard myself as a, as a general manager with a focus in human resources. Um, I think human resources is so powerful because truthfully, it's the only discipline within any organizational structure that has its hands in every other function. And so resultantly um, a good HR practitioner really has to understand how the other components of the business operate. And and truthfully, you have to have business acumen to be very successful in human resources, in my opinion. Yeah, I think that's a really, really good point. And I think that that's one of the things that separates um, more junior HR people than Mm -hmm. those that can make it to be part of the executive team and still focus on HR, right? Is really making sure that you understand the ins and outs of the business outside of your HR function so that you can best support all of those other you know, department heads, right? Absolutely. hundred percent. Yeah. Well, one other question I have for you before we jump into this topic, because before we jumped on here, you and I were talking about this concept of, you know, a people person. You know, I can tell that you're a people person. You had your background in sales. You've moved into HR. I mean, you're easy to talk to. So I, I think that sometimes there's this misconception that being a people person means that you're going to be great in HR. And I know you and I talked about that a little bit before we jumped on here. Tell our audience a little bit more about your thoughts on that. Is that true or not? Uh, biggest myth ever. Um, <laughs> somebody once asked me, hey, what is the one myth about HR that makes you crazy? And I said that every single HR person is a people person. And if you're a people person, you're going to be a fabulous HR person. Nothing can be further than the truth. Nothing. Um, the business, the biggest expense on anybody's PL, uh, even in non for profits, is people. That's yeah. it's the people line on a PL. Uh, I've never, ever seen a business that that did not agree with that statement. Um, resultantly, um, knowing the people component is extremely strategic. So if you're a people person, you're going to have an advantage because you're not scared of interfacing. You're not scared of talking. You're not scared of collaborating. You probably have the ability to learn how to effectively negotiate and do some things that require more than one person. Um, However, it doesn't give you prowess. It doesn't mean you're going to be good. There's nothing that will get you out of understanding what's the revenue model for a business? What are the levers that drive cost? What are the strategic goals? What do, where does the company want to be in three days, in three years, in 10 years? Um, what keeps the leadership team up at night? Those are the things that are critical um, so far beyond being a people person. Um, and, and it also, I, I take a little bit of offense, truthfully, to the statement, hey, you're a people person, you should be in the HR because it downplays the value of the brains of the function. It downplays the value of needing to know all those different things I just enumerated. Um, It it would be um, 
very disheartening for somebody to say, well, you know, that Millie, she's uh, she's a great people person and that's what makes her great in HR. Um, while that is likely an intended compliment, I would much rather somebody say, hey, that Millie Christman, our head of HR, really understands the business or, hey, that Millie Christman, the consultant we've been working with, has really given us insights into how to leverage our people. She really understands our business. She really understands where we're trying to go and what we have right now to play with and what we can do with those things. That's how I'd rather be viewed. And I think a lot of my fellow practitioners feel the same way. So that that whole people pleasing thing Mm -hmm. is just... um, misused at, at best. Yeah. I think another, another, uh, part of that too, is it could discourage people who might be more introverted from pursuing a career in HR, where I think that all of us can probably think of good examples of people who are successful in HR, who are both introverted and extroverted. Right. And so just because you're outgoing or more extroverted or a quote unquote people person doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be great at HR or vice versa. Right. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. I know um, a lot of introverted HR people who are highly, highly, highly successful. And, and in fact, um, I love collaborating with folks who are introverted because it really gives me a different dimension um, vis-a-vis the things I'm trying to think about and how I'm thinking about it. And, and also, frankly, as an HR practitioner, you're going to have a lot of clients, internal or, or external. You're going to have a lot of clients who are. So you need to be able to understand where their energy comes from, where yours comes from in order to act as a trusted advisor and, and act as a guide for them. Yeah, that makes total sense. Well, Millie, this has been an awesome conversation. We haven't even jumped into our topic. So I think we should do that. And I've learned so much from you already, but um, I want to get into this. So when you and I discuss what do we talk about today, you kind of p- propose this title of when enough is enough, putting yourself first in that realm of mental health. And so to kind of kickstart that discussion about that topic, um, I want to I want to get your insights on you know this idea of you know, there are many people who might work in HR or might work in other roles across a company who continue to stay in those roles that they know are toxic for them, that are just not a good fit for whatever the reason is. And so why do you think that is? Why do you think that so many people continue to stay in roles where they're unsatisfied or it's a toxic environment for whatever the reason is? Um, well, Truth is, there there's there are many reasons. Um, a couple ones that that I'll focus on are, I think, fear. I think fear is the biggest one. Um, fear that uh, the devil you know is going to be less fearful than the devil you you don't know. And oh my goodness, how can I possibly leave without having another job somewhere? And so. Um, I want to address this concept of fear because I've had it. I've, I've, I've done it. I've been guilty of staying in a, in a, in a highly toxic environment um, out of fear because uh, a lot of it was economic. At that time, I had rent to pay. I had school. I had a lot of different things that I had economic pressures on me. And so I couldn't just hang out without a paycheck. And I, I don't think that I'm dissimilar from, from many folks out there. Um, we, we do work for pay, most, most of us. And if it's fun, that's just great too. 
But so fear is, is the first thing. So how do you get over fear is really um, the focus point for me. And there's one way to get over fear in, in my mind, and that is through action. So I think what's critical and nowadays with, with the power of LinkedIn, the power of networking and the also the belief and the orientation that I have with people. And, and I believe, I truly, truly, truly believe that people for the most part will help you when asked. I can't tell you how many phone calls I take from people I've never met. I probably will never met. And I've helped them on a pro bono basis, not even as part of my consulting or, or my coaching business at all. I can't even begin to tell you. And I also know that, that that has come back and rewarded me. So taking action to get over this fear is is huge. The other thing is at every point along the way in your career, you should always make sure you're doing a couple basic things around uh, continuous learning, because when you are up to speed and up to date and feel confident about this, the discipline you're in, whether it's human resources, whether it's marketing, sales, um, strategy, innovation, wherever you play, know that sandbox, um, know your discipline, take, there's, there's free webinars all over the internet, get really get sharp, stay sharp, sharpen the saw, as Stephen Covey always likes to say. And that will reduce the fear you have of the unknown and the fear to leave. And finally, another uh, fear reducer, if, if you will, is to make sure you do create that network. Join some of those groups on LinkedIn. I feel like I'm promoting LinkedIn here, but you know, join <laughs> some of those groups. Talk to people. It's it's how I met so many different people. And I, I just have a wonderful community of folks I've literally never met. And it is, um, it, it's a huge confidence builder. And it's something that helps you overcome fear. Because I, I know I've been in a couple of roles too long to where it, it took a toll on my health. And let me tell you, a few months of being sick takes you three, four times that many months to get healthy. And it's, it's absolutely not good. Um, yeah. So, yeah. you know, fear, fear is a huge one. Um, I think that's really why most people stay in those toxic environments. I think that's an excellent point. I think you shared some great tips there to help overcome fear. Um, I want to back up a little bit from that though, and ask you, uh, you know, another question. When, when do you know that a work environment has passed the line of frustrating normal work environment to be to a level of it's toxic. I think, I think that's probably a spectrum and there'll be instances where yeah. all of us could say that's toxic and we need to, I, I need to look for something else, but there's probably a lot of gray area in the middle there where people, you know, are frustrated with day-to-day -day work, but unsure if it's enough to, warrant a change? What would you say to those people? What tips would you have? Uh, well, from personal experience is when your husband says, um, you're not you, what's wrong with you? You're constantly angry. You're short with me. You're impatient with me. So when you become a lousy spouse, um, that would that'd be <laughs> one signal I would, yeah. I would offer you from personal experience. Um, but but seriously, when you start having some visceral physical reactions to work, for example, if you're not sleeping well at night and you're waking up frequently 
And the thoughts that are on your mind have to do with work episodes or people at work. That's usually a toxic environment. When you feel nervous about your output or your throughput, and you didn't used to feel that way six months prior, eight months prior, that's probably a sign. When you start worrying about who's watching me, uh, what time should I come in? Am I scared to leave the office on time? Am I fearful of requesting some time off for a, I don't know, doctor's appointment? my son's soccer game. When you start worrying about those human basics and needs, those are all signs that you are in an environment that isn't working for you. And each of us have different thresholds, Garrett, and that's that goes to your comment about being on a spectrum. We, have, we each have different thresholds. So I think you have to know your thresholds, but I would also start confiding in somebody so that somebody else can partner with you to recognize the warning signs that I know I didn't see. And I know um, a couple of times I just stayed way too long. And the, the other thing I'd like to throw in is Um, a cautionary tale. Please don't think that in your infinite wisdom, you are powerful, bright enough, inspirational enough, influential enough to change an entire machine. There's a point at which quitting is winning. There's a point when you need to move your chair back from the table, fold down your cards and say, I'm out. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I've viewed that a couple of times in my career as giving up and giving in. And and I I grew up with the mantra that that, that, um, winners never quit and quitters never win. And I'm a Virgo, so it makes everything 10 times worse. And uh, so I thought, you know, I'm just going to stay until uh, kingdom come and and I'm going to fix this. I will change them all because... (laughs) I can. Well, you know, I'm here to tell you that that was a mistake. And now I preach to anybody, anybody that will listen to me, please don't. It's it. Please don't just take care of you because you can control you, which is a fabulous thing because there's so many millions of things you can do. Okay, let's work on the fear thing through action and go forward. But staying too long can can break you. And it's very tough to fix broken. It's very easy to tweak hurt. Yeah, that's a great, great point. And and, um, I think you're absolutely right. So everyone's got to figure out where they're at on their own. I really like the advice of, you know, ask, asking a loved one. I know I've had jobs earlier in my career too, where, uh, you know, my wife made comments about, you know, the quality, the, the, the amount of time you spent at home just wasn't as quality. Right. And because of those impacts and those things that are going on in your head that you bring with you, that baggage that you bring with you, sometimes that happens. And even in good jobs, but when it continues for a long period of time or when it's severe enough, um, I think that's the time to consider making that change. So I echo everything you said. Fortunately, I think the last two years or so of the COVID pandemic and so many other changes and for every environment working from home has caused what, you know, a lot of people have coined the term, the great resignation, right? Where a lot of people are actually getting smart about this stuff and realizing 
you know what? I, I, I can find a change. I can find a better work environment. And for those companies who've prioritized building an excellent, you know, experience for their employees, they're the ones who are winning in this instance, because more employees want to come work for them. And those who haven't are the ones who are, are losing today. So let's, I, I'm, I'm fortunate that, you know, a lot more people are overcoming that fear and, and taking that next step. And so what would you say to those people who are considering then that career pivot? Maybe they haven't made that move yet, but they're in that process of considering it. And they're thinking, that, um, you know, this is probably the best thing for me. What are the things that they should think about to make sure that that next step is a successful one for them? The first thing that I tell people, and I tell people this is part of my coaching practice and, and wanting to start your own business is, is no different. The first thing that I always start with is know thyself. How well do you really know what you're truly good at? And when I say good at something, I mean, something that's easy for you to do, doesn't require a lot of work. And 80% of folks would find it of value. What is it that you're good at doing? Really understand those things. So how do you do that? Well, you innately will know something about yourself, but I would also recommend that you go through some psychometric personality assessments, you know, the HR, you know, our field is flooded with them. We've got a lot of them, whether it's Myers-Briggs, DISC, Predictive Index. I love that one. Um, there's, there's her Herman brain. I mean, there's just so many of them. The other thing I would do is talk to, do your own 360, talk to your, your, your loved ones, friends, close friends, friends that you maybe aren't as close with, but get a real 360 view of what they think you bring to the table. And once you compile that and you have a good understanding of who you're, who you are, you'll be able to then develop, Hey, what's my offering? And then once you figure out what you want to offer and what you want to provide, make sure that you package it in a, in a value-based capsule. Make sure that it is something that would be wanted, which means you have to know who's your target audience. And don't feel like you have to do all this by yourself. Get a network of folks that have done it uh, and, and go talk to them, reach out to somebody, whether it's in your own network, whether it's on LinkedIn and just say, Hey, you do stuff that I want to do. Can I have 15 minutes of your time? Can you tell me about your origin story? How'd you start to, you know, you'd be surprised at how helpful people are out there. There's enough yeah. business for all of us. I mean, there's just all of us. So anybody that is scared to help anybody, I don't, I don't get that because there's just a plethora of business out there for for darn everybody. Mm -hmm. um, but, but you've got to start with knowing yourself, what are you going to offer? Who's going to want it? And then it becomes a bit tactical. Then it becomes a, a marketing plan of, Hey, how do I get in front of those people who might want what I have? And then there, there, then there's pricing and how do you figure that out and the website? And it just keeps getting more and more tactical from, from the big note, know thyself spreading outward into to tactics. I love that. And I think that resonates really with me. You know, my experience is really in marketing and that's the background I come from. And I like the idea of approaching your career pivot in the same way you would market anything else. You're marketing yourself yeah. and the value that you provide. So I think those are excellent, excellent tips. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, well, Millie, this has been an awesome, awesome, uh, 
conversation. Um, as we wrap up here, are there any other tips or takeaways that you would want to share with someone who is in this process of considering that career change, whether it's they're at the stage of overcoming fear or they're thinking about the value that they provide and how they can market themselves for that next step? What other tips would you share or, or would you want our audience to know here today? Uh, I think that if you're already thinking about it, there's something that's triggering while you're thinking about it. So take a look at what that trigger is or what those triggers are. I would do a bit of a root cause analysis uh, on that trigger, really deep down dive on what that trigger is. And I would start taking some actions that don't threaten your current day job if, if you're not quite ready yet to make that move where you, you're, you're in that nebulous sort of zone and make sure that you've got a current resume. Make sure that your LinkedIn profile is, is up to date. Start thinking about the whole know thyself concept that I just mentioned. You know, how well do you know yourself? Go, go through some of that, those exercises, get that done and, and play some imaginary games. Hey, if tomorrow I didn't have a job because my boss didn't like my haircut, whatever the case may be, that could happen. Uh, what, what would my offering be? What would it look like and who would want it? You know, go through some of those exercises and be disciplined about it. And of course, here's the Virgo piece in me. I would calendar some time on your schedule, if not every day, every other day, and literally block out a period of time, 45 minutes, half an hour, an hour and 10 minutes, whatever you can afford and dedicated towards this exercise, dedicated towards this and do that for a couple of weeks straight, because if anything, it'll prove to you that you have the discipline to think through something like this. And uh, pivoting does require some discipline. It can't be done on a whim if you want it done right. It does require discipline. And so give yourself, give yourself some discipline challenges because it'll build your confidence. And as your confidence goes up, guess what decreases your fear. And when your fear goes away, guess what happens? Action and pivoting. And you can leave behind the toxicity that you're currently experiencing. Yeah. Excellent tips. And I didn't just want to echo everything that you said. I'd, I'd encourage anyone out there who feels like they are in that toxic environment that, uh, to overcome that fear, follow these tips that you have just described because you can find something better. And any of us who have gone through that process know that it, it is possible. It takes some work, takes some effort, but it's possible and anyone can do it. So really appreciate you joining today, Millie, and sharing your tips. Um, before we wrap up here, there's a question I always like to ask all of our guests. And really it comes down to at our company, Eddie, we believe one of our core beliefs is that building a healthy business is one of the most charitable things that someone can do because they have the ability to impact the lives of employees and their families and the community and so many other people um, if they do it the right way. And so in your opinion, what's the quote unquote right way to build a healthy business today? To build a healthy business today, what, what I think is the right way, because it's what I'm following is identify a problem that needs solving and be the problem solver. Be the person who has the solve to somebody else's problem because people are willing to pay for that. And it's important that you understand your offering as a solution to something. And what is that something? So I think if you if you position your offering in 
that regard, it will be much more appealing and it will catch people's ear much more readily than just having a, a labeling of a product or a service out there. I think that's great advice. And I think that applies, you know, going back to what we were talking about, it applies for people. So knowing how to market yourself, right. Mm -hmm. And pitch what problem you as an individual solve for the organization. And then also for an organization to know what's the core problem that we solve and for which audience. So I think that's an excellent, excellent advice uh, to build a healthy business today. So, well, uh, Millie, again, this has been great. If there are listeners who have follow-up questions for you or want to get in contact with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, People typically reach out to me through LinkedIn. Um, I'm on LinkedIn at at Millie Christman. I I think there's only one of me. So it's, I'm pretty easy to sleuth out there. Um, And I also would invite uh, anybody listening today to check out my, my website, which is Marathon Growth Management. And the management is MGT. And there you'll be able to get a sense of what I do and how I do it, which may help you with uh, or your listeners with a framework of how to go out and, and pivot. But it's it's very clearly laid out as as offerings and, and what I do and how I do it and my approach. But I would certainly be very happy to support and help anybody uh, on their on their journey, on their pivot journey, their power pivot. <laughs> A power pivot. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Millie. We will drop links to your LinkedIn profile and your website in the show notes. So you can find that in, in the description. You don't have to worry about writing those down. Millie, thanks again so much for joining and sharing your insights today. Hope you have a great rest of the day. Thank you so much. It was great fun. Thanks. Today, enduring companies know that their people are their most important assets and they invest in helping them excel. But often, small businesses with limited HR resources struggle to manage their people, payroll, and processes efficiently and create an environment where frontline, deskless employees thrive. That's why we created Eddy. Eddy is the all-in-one HR suite built for local businesses that streamlines tedious HR processes and improves the employee experience for frontline workers. With Eddy, you can hire, manage, pay, and engage employees with one easy-to-use software. No headache required. You've already done the hard part by creating a great business. Now let us help you take it to the next level. Visit eddy.com today to request a demo.